Welcome to the Underwater Technology Podcast from the Society for Underwater Technology. Each week, we'll be interviewing a SU team member from the many sectors represented in our society. We'll have key people from offshore energy, ocean science, underwater robotics, education, policy, history, and many other areas. We'll try and keep the episodes to around 20 to 25 minutes, and like all good podcasts, they'll eventually form an archive covering a wide range of ocean technology subjects. Why now? We wanted to find a way to keep in touch with our members during the coronavirus outbreak and to do something of lasting value. Our first guest is me. I'll introduce SUT, what we'll do, and give you some tasters of what to expect in future episodes. My name is Steve Hall, I'm the Chief Executive, and my interviewer this week is going to be Susan John, who's also Chair of our Education Committee. Over to you, Sue. Today, we're starting at the top. I am talking to Steve Hall, the current CEO of this society. Hello, Steve. Hello, Sue. Good to speak to you. So, um, my name's Steve Hall. For those that don't know me, I'm a Chief Executive of the Society for Underwater Technology. I've been in post for just over three years. And before that, I was the head of the international office at the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton, uh, where I, you know, I carried out a variety of duties over the years. I managed the auto sub uh, science missions program for a while, then worked for the UK CLIVAR project looking at climate variability. And uh, for the last 10 years with the research councils, I very much went into the policy world. So I was writing um, you know, things like answers to parliamentary questions, uh, policy advice on everything from uh, wind farm installations to scallop dredging in Lime Bay or uh, marine coastal planning. Um, I had a few other strange hats. I was the tsunami warning officer for the UK's overseas territories. But the, the highlight was becoming the head of the UK delegation to UNESCO's Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, where I was eventually uh, elected as uh, vice chair. So in terms of education, I uh, went to state schools, mostly in South Wales, apart from a period of three years where we were living in Australia, and went to university in Cardiff, where I studied maritime geography at the former University of Wales Institute of Science and Technology, graduating back in 1985. I'll go on to introduce uh, how SUT uh, came into being. Society of Underwater Technology was established back in 1966, so it's now in its uh, 54th year, and we've always represented a very broad community. Our earliest members tended to come from uh, the diving world and the marine archaeology world. That gradually transitioned across to offshore oil and gas, uh, and then in turn to offshore renewables, so the new things like floating wind, which... I'm sure will lead in the future to uh, offshore hydrogen and offshore solar as well. We still have members from the marine archaeology community. We've also got uh, media divers, you know, the kind of people that film your James Bond movies or Harry Potter films. We've got people who work in marine spatial planning. We've got people who work in marine biology. Uh, we have people involved in uh, fish farming and aquaculture. 
a very large community who are engaged in marine autonomous systems, a few people involved in the defence world, and of course many educators from universities, research institutions, and also from schools and colleges as well. So it's a very broad family, it's very international. We have members in about 40 countries and branches in 10. So when you join SUT, you're not just joining uh, an England-based club, uh, you're joining a international community of like-minded people who care deeply about the ocean and about how we're able to sustainably use the resources that the ocean gives us for the improvement of all of our lives. Many of the founding members were based out in Malta and they were Royal Navy mine clearance divers and you know other sort of naval professionals who in their off-duty hours were exploring the seafloor uh, around Malta. Uh, the aqualung had just become available and these guys were going out, and of course in those days it was mostly guys, uh, they were out there you know, diving, discovering old Greek and Roman shipwrecks, and they formed a society to uh, you know, be able to write down what they'd learned and start having some peer-reviewed papers, which eventually became the Society for Underwater Technology, which we incorporated in 1966 in London. And of course, as the technology changes, so the interests and the qualities and the knowledge of our members do change. And you see, there are some members who are investigating um, the Great Barrier Reef, uh, how that, uh, understand that. But also there's looking at the life, looking at the resources, but also looking at the conservation of those resources and the understanding of the deep ocean. And of course, we are a nice mixture as well, because my background is education and science communication, whereas we have engineers, we have divers, but also we have more and more women coming on board because more and more women are getting involved with um, doing dives in the um, in the Alvins of the world and getting more and more into robotics. Yeah, it's true. The society for many years was was basically male dominated. Yeah, you know, you could go to a, an SUT meeting and not see many female engineers, scientists, or technicians. But that's changing pretty rapidly now. Uh, we certainly see in our big branches you now, like Aberdeen and London, Houston and Perth, uh, you know, much higher uh, proportion of female attendees now, particularly in the early career. Uh, you know, phase, uh, you know, of, of the industry. It's always been a bit different when you go across to our science community members. The If you go to, you know, one of the ocean science conferences, as opposed to the oil and gas type ones, the uh, gender mix is much more equal. So there's traditionally always been a high representation of women in areas such as, you know, marine biology, uh, ocean chemistry, and increasingly in areas such as uh, geology and the engineering side as well. In, in offshore oil and gas, it's mostly still male, but that is changing pretty fast now. And when we award scholarships, which is one of the things we do in the UK and also in our larger overseas branches, 
when I look at the breakdown of who we've been awarding our scholarships to, you know, over the last five or six years, uh, the majority of these days do tend to be female, basically because they come to us offering, um, you know, better grades, <laughs> and they are, you know, hungry to enter the sector. Yeah, they they want to make a difference. They've got a lot of talent to offer, and I'm sure that were we to look at the membership mix you know in a few years time it will be quite different to how it was for the first sort of 30 or 40 years of SUT. Empowering our female members encouraging women to come into the marine uh, engineering science technology sector has to be a key part of what we do. I do take the UN Sustainable Development Goals seriously and that brings us on to some of the ways where SUT is engaged into that policy space. We have observer status at UNESCO's Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission. We're members of the Parliamentary and Scientific Committee and uh, also represented on the UK government's Marine Science Coordination Committee Marine Industry Liaison Group. And we act as advisors to others such as the Marine Alliance for Science and Technology Scotland and through our, our network of overseas branches through the equivalent bodies in many other countries. So where are we based? We're in Australia with a, a very healthy branch based in Perth. We're in Brazil based in Rio. We have our first Canadian branch just coming together in St. John's, Newfoundland. In China, we're in Beijing, but also with members out in Qingdao and Shanghai. In England, we have a southern branch working out of London uh, with a, a southwest chapter representing the sort of Plymouth and Exeter region. And we also have a northern branch uh, based out of Newcastle. Malaysia, we're in Kuala Lumpur. In the Middle East, we have a new branch based in the United Arab Emirates. In Norway, we're in Bergen. In Scotland, we have our largest UK branch in Aberdeen. We have a branch in Singapore. We have a, a large and healthy branch in Houston in the United States of America. And we have a West Africa branch uh, mostly operating out of uh, Lagos and surrounding areas. Under development, our US branch is making uh, quite a lot of headway in trying to get things off the ground in Mexico. And in the UK branch, we're helping to take forward development in the eastern Mediterranean. So hopefully we'll have something based out of sort of Cyprus, Egypt, uh, that kind of area quite soon. Having new branches also lets our members uh, carry on with something they very much enjoy, which is encouraging the next generation and, uh, you know, careers advice and mentoring as well. SUT's members are going to have a key role in the emerging blue economy and in the United Nations Decade of Ocean Science 2021 to 2030. Innovation is happening right now in many sectors of the underwater technology world, including in decommissioning, in the emerging area of seafloor mining, autonomous defence systems, digital interconnectivity, subsea data, subsea recharge terminals, taking humans off offshore installations, life extension of platforms, geological carbon capture and storage, uh, the development of the hydrogen economy, offshore deep water aquaculture, smart pipelines, robotic repair. All of these are areas where SUT has an interest. And if true artificial intelligence and quantum systems are developed in the next few years, they will transform how industry, uh, researchers and military users 
develop what becomes effectively a transparent ocean and SUT will be there to help. So as an example of the kind of training courses we offer, we have something called a subsea awareness course. We have two and five day versions. Longer versions tending to be aimed at staff who are going to be working uh, directly in the offshore sector. Shorter ones for shore-based staff, legal, policy, insurance people with regional variations for local needs. We have joint courses. We run with people like IMRS, such as our MetOcean Awareness course. And new courses are constantly under development. Now, admittedly, while the coronavirus has been out, it's tended to clip our wings uh, rather a lot on the training side. So we're using some of this uh, enforced time uh, working from our home offices to learn how to deliver a whole new range of training courses and training modules that will be online based. SUT branches usually have a a fairly active diary of activities, daytime and evening events, such as uh, lunch and learns, business breakfasts, the advocacy for our members and the sectors where they work, and social activities, you know, barbecues, social evenings, quiz nights, golf, which tends to be popular in the Aberdeen and Houston branches, and even uh, skeet shooting, which does tend to rather be a Houston thing. We take part in industry programmes too, such as the European Union's Horizon 2020 Bridges project, which is just finished, where we uh, played a, you know quite a significant role in hel- helping to develop ultra deep uh, oceanographic gliders, you know, for for work in uh, you know six thousand metres or more of uh, ocean in support of uh, industries that require a much better understanding of the nature of the deep sea floor and the kind of biodiversity and physical, chemical and biological parameters that go on down at those depths. We do encourage the next generation through our education support fund and also through Christmas lectures and careers advice. We have a number of students supported uh, around the world Uh, supported either directly by the the headquarters branch or through our overseas branches such as Houston and Perth. In the UK, the Scottish, North of England and London and Southern England branches have something called SUT+, a section for our younger members, university students and early career professionals. The US do it slightly differently. They tend to prefer the student chapter model and have uh, chapters at universities in the Houston area, uh, such as Texas A&M and Rice. And at the opposite end of the age range, uh, Australia pioneered something called the Phoenix Programme, which was aimed at some of our older members who perhaps had been laid off during a downturn, who wanted to stay up to date on the science of the technology and the engineering to help them re-enter the industry after their period of layoff. All of our branches are encouraged to organise conferences in our areas of interest. And, you know, these have included a wide range of subjects. We've covered aquaculture, uh, a range of oil and gas sector technical subjects. We're still very active in salvage and decommissioning with an ongoing uh, programme, you know, in support of that industry. We were one of the first societies to take an active interest in marine robotics and still regularly run uh, autonomous underwater vehicle-related sessions and conferences, and many other areas too. 
Our peer-reviewed journal, Underwater Technology, is well regarded. It's uh, open access now, so anybody can download it and have a look. And our members are very much encouraged to submit articles for the journal. As well as the peer-reviewed journal, we have an excellent uh, sort of glossy magazine, more of a coffee table magazine, referred to as UT2, put together for us by the very talented John Howes and its online equivalent UT3. These are well-regarded publications uh, where you learn a great deal about the innovations that are taking place in our areas of interest. There's also a series of uh, books, mostly hardbacks, going right back to the 60s, covering a variety of areas such as the operation of autonomous underwater vehicles, subsea controls and data acquisition, masterclasses in AUV technology for polar science, and more. And perhaps uh, one of our more fun books, a few years ago we published Can a Lobster Be an Archaeologist, which was our first aimed at school-age readers and is uh, well worth a read young and old. I mentioned earlier that we get involved in professional registration so we've developed a scheme in partnership with the Institute of Marine Engineering Science and Technology and uh, also in partnership with the US Marine Technology Society to be able to offer chartered marine technologist to those of our uh, members who wish to go down that professional development route. Our Australian branch has been doing similar work with Engineers Australia to ensure that there's a professional qualification available, particularly focused on the pipeline engineers and people in that that line. I think also is that when we when we did a schools presentation, not this year for Science Week, um, last year's in 2019, is that we were astounded that the children didn't understand that there's just one ocean it's just one big splash of water yes yes and back in my unesco ioc days we were very keen on the slogan one planet one ocean you know trying to get across to people that okay you you have the occasional landlocked place you know like the you know the caspian sea or something but generally you know, once you're afloat, everything's interconnected. The, you know, even the, you know, the Mediterranean, the Caribbean, you know, those sort of semi-enclosed areas, all of them open up into the open ocean. And once you're out there into the Atlantic or the, you know, the Pacific, the Indian, wherever you are, these are just human labels we, we've applied to a body of water that once divided us but now connects us all together. And Issues such as, you know, who owns resources, who has the right to extract and exploit, all of these things, you know, come under the uh, interests of our society. Uh, you know, returning briefly to the special interest groups, you know, we have, for example, a policy advisory committee, and they're very interested in talking to governments and, uh, you know, industry bodies about how we respond to those challenges of, you know, exploitation of offshore resources in a safe and sustainable manner you know fair sharing of resources what kind of technologies and equipment we need to use to be able to access them you know all of those kind of things you know come under the interest of that group 
Uh, we do have a, a, a small um, defense special interest group, uh, which is the only one of our groups which we, we, we tend to operate by invitation only. And their interests overlap to some extent with some of the others. But they're, they're looking at, uh, for example, the uh, legality of uh, arming marine autonomous systems. You know, we have a whole new generation of uh, underwater robots, mostly used for science and used for industry. But these things are moving into the defense world as well. Some users, you know, want to put weapons on them. And as as experts in the field, one of the things we're able to do is go back to the community and say, "Hey, here are the modes of failure. You know, here are the play, here are the times where these things don't come back in one piece after a mission. Are you sure you want to be putting something that goes bang on the end of that? Uh, you know, you know, vehicle." <laughs> Sue, you've asked me earlier about how much knowledge we humans have about the shape of the ocean floor and it's fair to say there's still quite a lot of gaps so we you know we tend to know quite a lot about uh you know obviously areas like the gulf of mexico or the north sea uh, and even have pretty good maps across those parts of the north atlantic where uh telephone and fiber optic internet cables are laid and uh, and of course the areas where there were lots of submarine operations during the Cold War, you know, we we do tend to have some pretty good maps of those areas. But as we learned from the loss of uh, flight MH370 a few years ago, once you get off the beaten track, uh, you know, in that case it was believed to have gone down in the Southeast Indian Ocean. We very rapidly discovered, you know, what a sparse data set we had, and the. Uh, marine industry and governments through a terrific amount of effort at trying to find MH370. And, you know, at the time of recording, we unfortunately still haven't found the, the wreck of the aircraft. But we did discover, you know, mountain ranges, valleys, uh, deep ocean uh, floor areas that didn't exist on any charts, on any uh, maps, uh, simply because the area had never been looked at in in high resolution um and that applies in many parts of the world particularly in the southern hemisphere so you, you could say as a rule of thumb north atlantic not too bad some parts of the arctic pretty good and coastal waters out to about 200 miles for many countries have been mapped to a reasonable level but once you get off the continental shelf and into deep water it is still true to say that we've got far better maps of you know Venus, Mars, and the Moon, even Jupiter's moons, than than we do of uh, you know our our own planet. See, so for me, one of the most exciting uh, future prospects for underwater technology, and uh, you know perhaps where some of our younger members will 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 find themselves working in the future, is sending you know marine autonomous systems, sending the robots out to places like Jupiter's moon Europa, you know, getting under the ice and having a real old explore using that new generation of instruments becoming available like, you know, eDNA sensors and, you know, all sorts of other new lab on a chip technologies where these robots will be able to get through the ice, get down to the seabed and then, uh, you know, be able to, you know, possibly come back to us with, you know, 
here's life you know you know here's an alien ecosystem down on the sea the sea floor of europa or 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 the moon enceladus or you know possibly even the um ethane oceans of titan so lots of exciting uh, possibilities coming up in the future not just for our own world but on others as well thank you very much steve that's very interesting and hopefully you'll come and listen to us again um, and thank you. Thank you, Steve, very much for explaining the works of the Society. Thank you, Sue John, for interviewing me. This is a new thing for us, so please bear with us while we get up to speed. Contact me at steve.hall at sut.org if you'd like to be interviewed. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Thanks to Emily Boddy for our theme music and podcast art. Check out the show notes for more information. And I'm looking forward to our next episode where I'll be interviewing Geraint West of Sonodyne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.